1: What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It is going to be your Thursday, March 30th episode. Somehow the month of March has disappeared on us. I will say, in a tricky 31 days, we have been lucky enough to have a podcast every single day this month, which is awesome. Largely because, like I said on yesterday's show, the Browns provide content. The city of Cleveland itself seems to provide enough content to sustain. And March is one of the, the cooler months. The March-April swing between free agency and the draft is one of the cooler cycles in the football calendar. because. Obviously, you have coming off of a season, whether optimistically or or pessimistically, you get a chance to sort of mold your ideas around what the team is going to look like in the future, do some predicting, do some reacting, and uh, we're in a fun time for podcasting. Now, before we know it, it'll be June and July, and that's, as you know, the Oasis time. But uh, at this moment, I think there's still a lot of really good stuff to talk about, even though we're in a little bit of a dead period here, Jared, where they're going to be going between free agency and – um the draft you know because this is kind of like i know that the the browns brass took off i think they took off for vacation going into this week i mean i think that they've got a lot going on they're unwinding a little bit um but anyway we're welcoming jared mueller in for today's show i finally this week get to talk to somebody else for uh for the opening of a pod it's it's always chaotic in these times to get somebody on the show people probably get a little tired of hearing my voice so we're welcoming in jared what's up man What's happening, man? Yeah, like it's
2: uh it's a weird time. I don't know if the I don't know if Andrew Berry ever takes off though. That dude, listen, I always tweet about it, but at the combine, there is one day every year uh, him and I are on a foot race and that dude smokes me by a lot and it doesn't even look like he's trying that hard. He is never not working.
1: Well, him and Kevin stay in pretty good shape. That's abundantly obvious uh from from all the times that we see them that they don't seem to to they probably skip a few meals and they get their workouts in every day. So anyway, listen, we're going to do uh, a really fun exercise here at some point, uh, probably the second half of this podcast. we got to start today with the Ravens because, and, and really not the Lamar thing. Even though the Lamar thing is probably at the center of what they did, they fired out a tweet on this date 27 years ago with a picture of uh, Art Model holding up the Ravens uh, logo. And... I actually, I, I don't know, I like the Ravens' original logo more than what it's turned into, if I'm being honest. I like the script, but anyway, terrible day in Browns history, but one of the ones that the, uh, obviously the Ravens, of Baltimore hadn't had a team for a while when they moved to Indianapolis, one of their bigger days. It just seems like maybe they wanted to fire this tweet out, Jared, because of the circumstances around their quarterback and who is it uh, who is at the heart of that issue, right? Yeah, I mean, like I told you, Jake and I have talked and even kind of the
2: founding of the OBR in a lot of ways, a lot of the work that was done by Browns fans uh, that turned into the OBR came out of all of this. Uh, But yeah, I think it, you know, it has a lot to do with, um, you know, the Browns decision to sign Deshaun Watson to that guaranteed contract really set up Lamar Jackson to say, I I think I'm better than him. Uh, Even people who talk about health, excuse me, Deshaun, uh, you know, had two ACL surgeries and Some other issues. So it's it's not as if health is the only issue. But yeah, it feels a little bit like because look, it's 27 years. It's not 25, it's not 30. Like it's a very random year. And I have no interest in going back into their uh and through their feed to see if they've done this every year. Um, but 27 years ago, Art Model announced that the the stolen team's new name, right? And and part of the reason that the that's not the Baltimore Browns is because of the great fan base that, you know, we get to provide content to Made sure that didn't freaking happen and that that name stayed. So uh, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. I I still have the Art model punching uh, the dog in the stomach sports illustrated. That's behind me pretty much in any uh, video podcast. Uh, So it still pisses me off, but it also reminds me of just the passion of this fan base.
1: Yeah. There's some really fascinating stuff out on YouTube where you can find it that, you talked about the obr's origins and what barry mcbride did with you know the next generation media tng stuff and like um what, what they were trying to do to save the browns and like the the organize early early internet groups were forming <laughs> like forming ways to communicate forming websites to save the browns emailing your sorry they were faxing and emailing but faxing the, the the league office like i really don't think that gets discussed enough like how The efforts that the reason why Browns backers groups are the way they are today. And if you're sort of new to this or you don't pay much attention, you don't understand that the way those people came together with the people in the city, the politicians to make sure the Browns stayed the Browns they were going to be the Baltimore Browns. Like they were going, they were taking everything, but the city of Cleveland and the supporters across the country and even the world stood up and made the NFL realize we can't do this. We just, we can't do this now if you haven't read enough of the literature about how the NFL screwed the Browns when they came back and the reason that they're one of the the floundering uh, franchises when they were not that they couldn't have figured it out on their own, eventually the, (laughs) the way they set them up behind the eight ball and like, you know, made it as difficult as possible on the Browns compared to the Panthers and the Jags all those years earlier. That's also out there, but I will say they at least did keep the organization and everything in Cleveland and, um, You know, we wouldn't be doing this today without those people doing a fantastic job. We'd be maybe talking about the Bengals, I guess, which is pretty bleak to consider. Yeah, Um, not a chance. Like, I'm not sure I would. I don't know if I'd
2: like football. I might have been a become a Bills fan just because they were the underdog. I think I would have been a Colts fan because I
1: really liked Peyton Manning uh, when he got to Indy and they Browns. Doesn't that sound terrible? It doesn't sound great. Well, I don't know. It's relative, Jared. They won a Super Bowl. And yeah. they have had two great quarterbacks. Now they're in the midst of trying to figure out their future, but like, I don't know, maybe it's not, I'm but even like, we all talk, like, the Browns,
2: yeah, but I mean, I think the other thing, you know, the whole stadium thing is a, is a conversation. Some of what they did to the Browns is one of the reasons that they can't build a dome and, and that that stadium isn't really that great and all that kind of stuff is, is some of that rush nature to it. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, like most things, there's, there's a lot of good that you can look back on, on that and you can still go, wow, I wish they could have done this a little bit better. It didn't have to be 1999, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but
1: they did. And here we are. Here we are. Listen, we're going to shift real quick um, off of too much negative history because there's a lot <laughs> we could dwell on. But I do think it's important to try to remind people. I would love to to try to chat with more of the people who were very proactive in those times. of. Uh, it was really crazy, cool stuff. I'd, I'd, I'm going to try to find the YouTube link and post it in the description of this article about. There's a really cool, like 40 minute video that was put mm-hmm. together of people. the effort of those people in that time, I'll have to search and dig and find that. Yeah, but anyway, I've
2: watched that a few times. It's awesome.
1: It's really cool. But since 99 things have, you know, <laughs> those efforts get forgotten when the team is giving you, you know, a full, it's a full generation of stress at times. I mean, 20 years is a long time, but anyway, um, real quick before we switch over to, to the, uh, to the little, uh, I don't know, activity or exercise mm-hmm. we're going to do. There's a little point about Andrew Barry you wanted to make, which I think is something we we all track his history in the draft and free agency and decisions around the 53-man. And I think you made a pretty good point, so I want to give you a chance to expound upon that, Jared. I think what's really interesting is as we start to hear some stories or get some reporting
2: out, I think, once again, we're hearing about just how persistent Andrew Barry is. Um, There's a number of players this year, Ogbenaya, Okoronkwo, uh, Elijah Moore, those are two guys that last year Andrew Barry tried to acquire, right? Like those are two guys that he was really interested in, tried to make trades with both Houston and New York to get last year. And while those are just two guys, they're two of the top uh, acquisitions this offseason. We can also look back at Jadavian Clowney. Tr- Again, we know that didn't turn out exactly right, but tried to sign him when he went to Tennessee, offered him a bigger contract. He didn't come. Did it bother Barry? No, he went and signed him the next year. Tack McKinley is a player that he tried to claim like four different times. Uh, that'd be like three seasons ago at this point in time uh, when Atlanta released him, didn't wasn't able to claim him just because of waiver orders and brought him in the next year. So I think what's really interesting, you know, just using those four players, and I know there are more that we've seen reports that he tried to acquire previously and wasn't able to. I think it's really interesting, and it's a, it speaks to the fact that, A, he doesn't get offended by things. He doesn't get bothered by things, he but he's relentless, right? I, all of my reporting coming out of the combine was that Andrew Berry is aggressive, right? So I've talked to the Texans about trading for 007. Eh, couldn't trade for him, but he's a free agent now. I'm going to go get him, right? Elijah Moore tried to trade for him. He's not offended. He doesn't get Upset at the Jets that they didn't accept his offer last year, and maybe Elijah Moore could have been more productive and really helped the team, and maybe they made the playoffs. Right? He doesn't get upset about that. He keeps the conversation going, and and even with players, Jadavian Clowney turned him down. Okay, well, I'm going to call you next offseason because I still like you as a player. I think there's something to that where Andrew isn't somebody who gets all well, the best feelings. persistence. Yes.
1: Wouldn't the best persistence example be? Deshaun Watson right they were told right. no right away and ended up coming up with some form of solution you're right like what I wouldn't be surprised of Jared is if in two years of Jerry Judy is is up against it on a contract or hits the free agent market and they're very interested in Jerry Judy because you're right they do seem to they do some surprise moves there's no doubt but they will lay out interest whether that's a claim they placed or heavy pre-draft visits a lot of time spent with prospects even like you know um, if you If you go back and look at not just top thirty visits, but who's uh, who's um combine or pro day they're at, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like they'll tell you the guys down the road what they're doing. And I thought Andrew Spade made such a great example of this. Uh, I think it was late last week about, you know the Browns are always a team rumor to a lot of players because they are doing as much information gathering as possible, calling, questioning. All this and the Browns get linked to a lot of teams because when agents say, "Who have you talked?" Well, the Browns have called, and these and because they have they have called doesn't mean they're interested to the point of acquisition, but they're interested to the gathering information. And I do think that they lay out uh, a formula here for where they're gonna down the timeline. Yeah, maybe we can't draft this guy because we don't have a pick until pick seventy four for this year, but that doesn't mean they're not out looking at some of these people that when those opportunities come they've formed a relationship with them you know talk about Ohio State guys like you know they're not going to draft Paris Johnson they're not going to draft you know some of those guys that are going to go earlier but that doesn't mean they don't want to talk with them meet with them shake their hand and become familiar with them And, and, and Elijah Moore is a great example they they had spent a lot of time with him in the draft process too they liked him coming out of Ole Miss it just didn't align with what they needed in Greg at 26 so it is um it's a large part of what they do and and Kevin and Andrew say the more information the better and they're not just saying it to say it i really think that they're like as far as him and the scouts and and all the personnel people there they're grinding on that stuff man so that's a that's a really good point for and me I- about their persistence
2: And I think Paris Johnson is a great example. He's going to be a, they, obviously we all just kind of group them together as top 30 visits. He's going to be a local visit. So he's coming in, Jack Mm -hmm. Conklin's under contract for what, three, four more years. Again, obviously who knows, but if Paris Johnson, things aren't going well, or that team is whoever drafts him, like that wouldn't surprise me. And the other thing, uh, one of my least favorite things about general managers and coaches is the whole not my guy thing. But I think what's yeah. really also cool about Andrew Barry is a lot of the players that he signed to extensions, he didn't draft. and that, That's something that, you know, pride gets in, in the way so many times, but he literally has extended any of the good players that John Dorsey or Sashi Brown brought in before him. He didn't yeah. really care who brought him in. Are you talented? So persistent and he's not prideful. Like those are just yeah. things that
1: have really stood out to me this off season as we kind of go through the process. And we're getting to the point on top of what you're saying, which is well said where they're going to start or they've, they've, they've done it. They've started it signing depth pieces that are going to challenge and or eliminate some draft guys that they have not hit on the willingness to, I I think we're starting to see it. It might come to fruition more this year than ever. I know Richard LeCount was moved on from, but like if they don't hit on a guy in the draft, they're not going to hold on to that miss just to hold on to him. It seems like now they're trying to sign more of the depth pieces You know, uh, that are out there to try to churn the roster and say, hey, just because we drafted you, Tommy Togan, in the fourth round, doesn't mean Tristan Hill can't come in here and take your job. Like, that's the stuff they're trying to do. And I think to me, it says we're always trying to improve this thing. We're not going to sit here and, you know, my guy, like you just said, Jared. So I think that's starting. You know, they they were slow on that process because I do think they were in a building phase. Like they thought Mm -hmm. we want to get these young guys as many snaps as possible. The, The bottom of the roster under John Dorsey left a lot to be desired. Now he, John, you know, it's not a trash John Dorsey thing. I think he hit on some picks here, but I do think, It's important to understand where they were and what they're what they and even what they have said here, which is they're vocal about it now, even on the on the team organization side, which is we're going from labeling our in-house video building the Browns to (laughs) unleashed because and this is this is them saying it. We are done building. So that's the point there. If they're outwardly saying that, then you know that the mantra that they're living by in the offices is we're just trying to make the depth of this thing better, churn depth, sign cheap deals, you know, because one year deals for veterans that are better than the guys you maybe have fringe drafted, Demetrius Felton types, uh, Anthony Schwartz, are going to be better. Like, would you, who would you feel better about coming into a game right now, Marquise Goodwin or Anthony Schwartz? That's the stuff they're trying to weigh. And now that they think they're in this win now phase, which I agree, they're outwardly recognizing excuses are gone. We got to win ball games. They don't want to leave, a, uh, leave much to guess. So, um, yeah. it's, uh, with what you're saying, I think it aligns really perfectly with, um, you know, continuing to, to, to read the tea leaves with them. Who do they make relationships with? Because those relationships have a tendency to come full circle with them. So in, interesting stuff. We're going to take our only break of the episode. We come back, got a good little, uh, a little exercise here. We're going to do, we're not going to actually exercise. That'd be too far to no we'll here, Jared, you guys wouldn't hear baited breathing on the uh, podcast, but <laughs> it's a fun little, uh, uh, I don't know if exercise is the right word. It's a thought experiment. Thought um, experiment. See, that's why you're here. Fantastic. Thought <laughs> experiment. We'll be right back.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
1: So as everybody is so excited, I'm, maybe on the Debbie Downer podcast, I always do an episode of how everything can go wrong before the year, but I do think everybody gets super excited. And that's the point of this time of year is to get excited about the, the changes your team has made. But I wanted to do a little bit of a grounding experiment here where we say against what people perceive of the player, not having seen them in the uniform, um, what they think the Browns need and what they uh, expect based on the contract three guys who we think are going to meet those expectations. Three guys who we think are not, I'm not saying they're not going to be good. You can be a guy who doesn't meet expectations and still be a fine player for the Browns, right? You could be a guy who does meet expectations um, in terms of the fans, but not be quite as good as we were hoping it goes both ways. But I think this exercise is fun to look at what they paid for, what you guys are expecting and maybe what they actually provide. So we're going to do 3 on each side. We'll start with 3 guys who we think are going to meet them or exceed them. I'll first go with Juan Thornhill. So, I think there was a need there obviously, but but the reason I think this is because he's really good at making plays downfield in the passing game and those stand out to people, Jared. Those really like you'll 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 miss some things he does wrong. He'll miss a tackle here and there, um filling an alley or or whatever or he won't quite uh, be as physical as you need him at the point of attack, but he'll make enough plays in the passing game downfield where he breaks up balls or picks something off that I think he'll feel like a player that there's so much different than John Johnson that the bar isn't pretty low in terms. Of, and that's not a knock on John. You know, I've been pretty vocal about his out of position nature, but I do think that Thornhill will feel like a guy who people are like, okay, that's what a rangy split and solo middlefield close safety can do play in the post. And I think that one's a really, I feel like that one is the most obvious answer to me because I wager, I wavered back and forth on uncle ronquo maybe you're going to add him, but I'm, I just think that like, actually I'll hold on to it because we'll deal with that one later. But Thornhill to me is a very easy mesh of not getting a ton of money, but fitting a need in a way that they have, they have, I think it's very easy to see him overcome what we have seen recently from John in comparison's sake. So that's my Thornhill. I don't know if you have them on either of yours, but your your first one. Go ahead.
2: Well, so <clears throat> Thornhill is my first one. Hey, guys, we don't go, we know what we're going to talk about, but we don't share our list. So yeah, Thornhill's my guy, uh, as well. Then I'll go to my number two in a second. But I think Juan Thornhill is is a player with his ability to flip his hips and his, his ability to kind of bait quarterbacks and some of those kind of things that I think is going to be really kind of exciting for um for the Browns and for Browns fans. And again, his contract and I really weighed contract in a lot of these, because I think it's really important uh, for expectations. Cause again, none of the players were real flashy um, from a, you know, a big contract or a big name, but I think Thornhill, just brings something unique to the back end of the defense. And I think he pairs really well with what they did to the defensive line so that if they do have him in split or one high, which was something Nathan Zagura in their video, just the short part of the video that I saw, talked about being in one high a lot. Uh, And Thornhill really enjoys kind of that uh, kind of mind games kind of thing. And so I think you're going to see a player that uh, can get physical at times, may not always be smart about it. Um, But really, like you said, the plays in the back end, my number two guy, which we'll jump right into, is, is the guy you brought up. I think Okoronkwo, um, for his contract and for what the Browns are going to do and how they're going to use him in the wide nine, I think he's going to be a player that gets a lot of teams excited. Uh, Arif Hassan had Miles Garrett as the top player, top defensive end, takes a lot of double and triple teams. I think 007 is really going to make a difference on that side of the ball. He's going to get a lot of play- uh, fans excited. Uh, you know, he's going to get the strip sack. He's going to get the chase down. Um, you know, he's going to be that 11, 12 sack guy uh, for a really relatively cheap price, right? Cheaper than they were paying for Genevieve and Clowney. Uh, so for me, Okarankuo is a player who is going to exceed expectations, both from the fans and from his contract.
1: I wavered a little bit on him, and I didn't put him on either one of these. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I actually think there's a chance that he's act, he's pretty good. The pressures are there, but he doesn't get a ton of sacks. And people are like, "Well, he's just another clowny. He's just not as good as we needed him to be." He's not not that he not that he, I think people who dig deeper won't understand that. I, I mean, I, I personally think he's like a forty five pressure, 10 sack guy. Like, I think he's got that in him, but I think there's a the realm of possibility where he's just another version of Clowney and people have sold themselves on this. He might, he's more, he's better. And I think that if you get the 2021 version of him, uh, of Clowney out of Okoronkwo, that's a huge home run because that 2021 True. version of Clowney was really good. And he ended up putting up nine, 10 sacks and he ended up putting up upwards of 40 pressures and played the run game pretty firmly. So I think there's a chance he blows it away and he becomes this dynamic player I think is in there, but I'm also a little nervous about like, well, man, he wasn't really worth it. And you know, the nonsense that can come along those lines. So (laughs) I see both sides of it for sure. Um, I will say the other one, my second one is, is Jordan Aikens. Um, You know, it's pretty simple why he's so dynamic in the passing game compared to what they've had. Now he's his road. I've talked about it on this pod when I deep dug uh, on into his road. So, circocious his path to like where he got in the nfl um but he's he got to look at this from a a what has harrison bryant done with that role right the last three years i mean harrison bryant has had um 42 targets 28 and 37 so last year's example of him as a second tight end 42 targets 239 yards a touchdown you're talking about like a 6.8 or 7 maybe right at the fringe of seven yards per catch I mean, this guy, I mean, Aikens is so much more dynamic after the catch. You see that old wide receiver in him. He's 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 able to make people miss. He can run away from folks. And I do think as people watch him and he continues, I, I think he's probably destined for a similar season, maybe 400, 450 yards. But that is such an improvement in the passing game from when they used two tight ends that I don't have any doubt that people will be like, he's a lot better than I thought he was. So it's a cheap contract. It's like two years. It's a couple million each year. It's not a ton of money. And I think that as far as living up to it and, and exceeding the expectation, which was, I mean, Harrison Bryant, amazing consistency through three years. 238, <laughs> 233, and 239 are his his years of receiving each year. He's not going to block that well for you, but I also don't think they're going to put him out there to block a ton. He'll do some in, uh, some in some wing stuff, some movement things, but like – He's going to be a difference maker in the passing game, and even if he struggles as a blocker, we won't care as much because he does make some of those plays down the field. And I think that people are going to be like, he is a lot better than I thought he was. So that's my second guy. I think is going to is going to uh, you know outperform uh, or be at least an expectation for what we've tried to set it at. But I also think he's going to outperform it because I just don't think people know how good he is. My third, so
2: first was Thornhill and Okoronkwo. Uh I feel like I'm cheating a little bit, but um I didn't expect him to be back. Ethan Posick. Listen, I'm 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 betting on Bill Callahan again. Um I don't think that contract was ridiculous. It's it's more than I expected the Browns to be willing to pay to have four of their players pay decently on that line and and the other be Jed Wills, who they'll pick up his fifth year option. So but for me, Posick I just couldn't trust Nick Harris, you know, watching him in preseason and and seeing him in person. I just couldn't trust like I love I loved him coming out in the in the zone scheme. uh, If he could really kind of keep that strength and that that hot move that he has. Uh, but with what I think they're going to do, I think they needed a bigger guy there. And I think it's just simpler to keep Posick. And I think he's going to live up to that contract, whether that means Treader gets moved at the end of the season or whatever, that's a different conversation. But I think Posick is an easy, that contract's realistic. He's going to do a good job. And I don't have to be concerned about Nick Harris kind of being overwhelmed by Cam Hayward.
1: Like it. I think that's a good one. Probably one that's not discussed enough, uh, from, from the, from the element of, solidifying what could have been a weakness, right? And, and really taking away something mm-hmm. you might've drafted or forced to pick uh, at that point. Um, my last one on the, on the expectation side is really, it's a is my most controversial one. I mean, I, I think Elijah Moore is really good. Um, but I do think people, I fear people are building him up in a way that is dangerous to the point that I could see him being a guy that you would peg as a below expectations guy. But if you look at what he's done versus what he's uh, his skill level is, it's really easy for me to see him being an 800 to 1,100-yard receiver. It is. And I and I think they're going to use him a ton, get him close to 90 targets. I really think that's in his future. And I think he's really talented, man. And I think that there's people that sleep on this young man because of the situation he was in in New York and the quarterback play he dealt with for 70% of the time there, that he does things that Amari Cooper does, and he does some things – even better than I think Amari Cooper does attacking the natural blind spots. It's, it's exceptional stuff. I'm really excited to see him in a Browns uniform as a difference maker receiver, because he fits the type that Deshaun is used to playing with. He's a Brandon cooks type player. So it's not like the target size is going to freak out the quarterback or anything. He's, and again, he's not small, but he's not big by any stretch of the imagination, but he creates such easy separation and, and it'll be nice and I hope we're saying this often this year, because I, I mean, I really believe this or he wouldn't, I wouldn't put him on this side of things to be in third and pass and have a guy who can easily set and and Coop can do it, too. And he's done it. But having multiple guys who can separate to create those first downs when it's when it's the absolute toughest thing to do in the NFL is third and pass and keep drives alive and convert and find your way into another first down. So I'm really excited about him. I think he's going to be if you look at 400 and 500 yards his first two years, like, I think he's going to blow those numbers away. I, I really, they wouldn't have made that trade without it. Um, you know, and I understand they didn't give up much here. They, only, they really gained a receiver and, and actually gained a pick out of it because they were probably heavily looking at receiver at 42 anyway. So it's like they gave up a ton here, but the, the faith is is justified in my opinion. So more is my third one. You want to, you want to start on the downside?
2: Yeah, so my downside starts with your upside. So not, no, sorry, it doesn't start with more. I love
1: more. (laughs) Like I'm just gonna be honest. My hard thing. He's dangerous though. It's it's. There are a lot of people that are really pumping it up, and and I'm one. I mean, I'm one of them doing this on the show. But like, I really could see people being like, "Ah, man, like 700 yards. That's all that dude was. That's all he was." You know, there's that side of it too. So you're running a little bit of a risk, but I I think yeah, the two things that I'm gonna gonna
2: look at with with more are gonna be first downs and yak right like those are two things that i i thought the team really needed like jarvis was a very good receiver for what he did just not for his contract uh he got a lot of four yards on third and four right like but i think elijah moore is gonna get eight yards on third and four like he's not falling down he's not getting tackled right away all that stuff so i'm gonna look at first downs and yards after catch those are the two things that i think are really gonna pop out there i'm just not sure you can you're going to get over those expectations just because of how hype we all are uh, for him. But actually Aikens is is my first guy on the list that I expect to uh, underperform. I think there's going to be some judgment on he's Deshaun Watson's guy. Mm -hmm. I've also watched um, fans in general, look at tight end yardage and think about them like wide receivers or think about them that they're going to be like Travis Kelsey at 1200, 1400 yards and so if you're unhappy with David Njoku getting 8 900 yards and you think he should do a lot more because of his contract, then you're going to be very unhappy with Jordan Akin's getting 4 500 yards and four touchdowns. It's just unless he really hits that touchdown number, I think he's going to be seen as you just paid a guy because he was, you know, Deshaun Watson's tight end for a little while. Uh yeah, he makes a play here and there, but the final numbers just don't match the excitement or the the what jake showed us on the look at the yards after catch and all that kind of stuff so yeah. he's the top guy on my list and doesn't mean he's going to be bad i just think he's not going to meet expectations
1: well it, it'll be the most interesting thing for him is going to be opportunity i mean how yep. much 12 yeah. personnel are they using and how much are they giving him also you know for me too what i wrote it up is like david missed games and i think when they when david missed games they were like, we got Harrison Bryant and like Pharaoh Brown, like we have Uh-oh. no option here. And it is, it was dicey. So a large, a large part of his production situation will probably be if David plays every game or not. Right. Because yeah, um, we think the offense is evolving into a lot more 11 personnel. You know, that's why you go out and you trade and, and give up assets for Elijah Moore. But, um, you know, you can, you can see the flip side, the the, the other side of it too. Can he take just the opportunities Harris and Bryant had and turn it from two thirty to four fifty? I can see both sides of it. There are people like you know, again, it's 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 certainly what your expectations are as a as a fan as a viewer. Because if you if you're looking at the four ninety five and the connection to Deshaun, you could get your hopes up on, and then you could be like week thirteen, be like, I haven't heard much from Akins at all. So I see mm-hmm. I see that side of it too uh, for yep. sure. Um, Tomlinson is my first one. Um, I think that here's. I want to be careful with this. I, I I actually think he's going to be pretty good, but I think if your expectation is for him to be this like six, seven sack guy, ton of pressures, he had 30 last year. He had a few sacks. What you need him to do is anchor the run game and you need him to be able to just be effective enough as an inside one tech shade nose to, uh, to get after the quarterback and create close to 30 pressures again. And I think that people I'm worried about people's expectations being too high for him because at his core, he is not a pass rusher. He is a run defender first, came up that way with New York. He got a little better at that, um, you know, uh, in, in Minnesota. But Minnesota also ran a lot of odd front stuff uh, in a similar way that they did in New York. And that surprised me watching the tape is how much odd front stuff they ran. And now he's going to be entering an even front where he's either going to be playing three or one. We have an inkling it'll be a one tech based on some of the signings they've made. We'll see if there's any more evidence that comes out. But that's a different thing for him, right? It's a mm-hmm. little it's a little more. Um, instead of five rushers maybe, uh, or a deceptive nature of those five rushers that an odd front gives you, um, he's going to be dealing with a lot more double teams and in, in pass rush. And again, just because he maybe doesn't hit 30 pressures or he doesn't hit five sacks doesn't mean he didn't perform to the level that they needed him to. But I do think there's, if you're looking at a guy who you look back at the end of the year and they're like, man, that, that dude was paid $11, 12000000 and that's what he gave us, there's a chance that the that the, that the layman could be confused by that and think he was a disappointment. So. I think that's going to be um, the the guy that I think is just easiest to point at. Paid a lot of money, the highest valued free agent they signed. Did he live up to it? I think it's easy for me to see where he did in a way, but maybe he doesn't in terms of the box score and the wow plays that people want to see. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, when you're the the highest paid contract like that, you automatically are kind of set up for that. Um, yeah. And that's where, again, obviously they're they're imperfect, but things like the PFF grades at least give us a number for people who don't have time, energy or your talent to look at film to go, OK, this is what this is what we did get besides the three sacks, besides the 20 pressures, because even pressures aren't something that, you know, are really in the box scores in general. Do we get a couple tackles for loss? I think it'll be interesting where they line him up. Right. So as the as that one tech, is he more near miles or the the smaller uh, Okoronkwo side kind of thing to kind of eat up blocks so the smaller guy isn't kind of taking those on, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But you're right. We're going to see kind of how they do things going into, you know, the draft. And and again, when they get more salary cap on June 1st, you know, is and they have, you know, future picks to trade that they might be willing, do we see another move? Uh, there, so Tomlinson makes a lot of sense. Um, I decided I just wanted anything but Taven Bryan and and uh, Tommy Togi. I and Jordan you, Elliott. Man. So I I Thank don't you. care. Do what do be be big and be inside. Don't be five yards off at, at the snap. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, my number two guy. I'm gonna uh, stay on the interior of the defensive line. And this is literally almost 100 percent to do with the fact that they gave him $300,000 guaranteed, and that's Tristan Hill. Uh, a player who second round didn't do much, had some, had a good run defense grade. Um, I'm not sure if they see him as the backup to Tomlinson, but he's not a player, right? Like the Cowboys were terrible against the run last year and they waived him. And the Cardinals actually picked him up. And so while it's not a lot of money, they guaranteed, basically a fourth of his contract and that's just not something you do for a player that most of us were like either hill or Hurst. hopefully one of them makes the roster so hill is the guy that for me i just don't see him being a guy that should make the roster possibly um or should be guaranteed a roster spot but again three hundred thousand dollars i think guarantees you a roster spot at this point in time given the financial constraints of the cap space
1: yeah, it's, I, I mean both of those guys, him and Hurst. Yeah, you're, you're you're giving Hill a bit more promise, and it's it's injury stuff. You know, you're always he when he's on the field, he's actually he's okay. He's probably another Taven Bryan, uh, a bit more explosive, but he's okay. And again, that's a cheap deal. But I'm with you. Yeah, th- that could be done before it starts. Like it could be done, and you gave him money, so that's a risk uh, indeed. The other two for mine do deal with injuries. My second one's Anthony Walker, where I think. You know, people expect him to be every bit as good as he was last year. And a quad injury is so serious, man. Like, I just I'm, I'm nervous that he's going to be um, and I haven't seen the financials and maybe they've maybe they've revealed those to see what his number actually is this year. But I'm nervous about him meeting the expectation of what people have thought of him recently. And like um, he had a great year last year before the quad. We'll see if it comes to fruition but I feel like there's a real risk here of a player that isn't quite as good as we remember him uh, last year. Um, And I think I'm hoping walk will be fine. I'm not trying to predict a bad year. I thought he was so good before he got hurt last year in that short sample size, but I just don't know that he's going to be as good as we recall him being because everyone's like, he was great last year. Well, he played two and a half games like he didn't play much. Um, So uh, I just am nervous about that one. And it's where, I have some doubt about, um, you know, him being able to stay healthy all year and then largely being able to play up to the expectation of what people just remember and think was so great when it's like it was a really short sample size uh, for for what he is. But he, he did have a nice 21 as well. But again, new defense, new D.C., all that. And I'm excited to have him back. But I just think I'm looking at I'm looking at risk uh, types. And he's one that I think has a chance to have a lot of room between what people remember and they expect and what actually comes to fruition.
2: See, I thought that was going to be my shocking reveal here at number three for me is is actually Anthony Walker. Um, I think, to be honest, and I'm trying to remember, uh, he changed what he goes by. But I think Darius Leonard, he was Darius then. I think he's Shaquille Leonard now in Indianapolis. The way he talked about Walker when he signed in Cleveland I think was a real setup, right? It was was as if this was going to be a guy who is going to make all these huge plays and is this amazing leader, communicator, all that. And then the last two years, we saw a Browns defense with or without Walker that sucked at it. Like they just couldn't communicate. They weren't together. Obviously, I know that goes on Joe Woods, but Walker is a part of that defense. He's calling plays. And then I think there's another part that you and I and a lot of other people said, well, the linebackers last year, we're basically put in a position to lose because of the defensive tackles in front of them. And so now we're saying, hey, Tomlinson, hey, maybe Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst, whatever they do in the draft, uh, Okoronquo, Alex Wright, maybe moving inside sometimes. Well, that's going to help. And you're right. He's coming back from injury and all that. I just think there's just a little too much excitement uh over walker and i just don't know if he can live up to that expectation uh even though other things around him has improved and mm-hmm. again i hope jim schwartz is slightly better than joe woods uh but i'm just yeah. not sure what we're going to get out of walker but i thought that would be my shocking hot take and instead i'm just <laughs> smart like you
1: it still might be we might we might be saying something there that surprised a lot of people uh i'll do my last one then you can do yours so go, I, I have marquise goodwin are you out of them sorry did you already do your third one yeah three, that was my three? third yeah your your three were Aikens. my three was akins hill and anthony walker oh got it okay jay can't count uh lesson number 742 um yeah my last one's marquise goodwin i think people are gonna expect him and i think he had a really nice year last year mm-hmm. um the goal for him is to not play much <laughs> like they, they want to play Donovan, they want to play Coop, and they want to play Elijah. And it should involve him not being on the field a ton. Um, I, I And I worry about a couple things. First is the, he just doesn't stay healthy very much. Like, if you look at his career, the reason he has never, from Buffalo to San Francisco to, to, to these two one-year stops, is never really launched is, like, he just can't stay healthy. You know, he had that one healthy year where he had 99 targets, 56 catches, and 962 yards. He can still run. He can still move. And hopefully he only has to play three or four games significant snaps because, again, the Browns were really fortunate to be healthy at wide receiver all year last year. And I think there's obviously nerves about that continuing, mm-hmm. especially the way we saw Cooper get kind of dinged up at the end of the year and play through the hip injury and all of that. But I just think that people are like, oh, wait, wait, he was supposed to be this explosive addition, and, and I haven't seen anything downfield, and I just worry about that. And if you add up the injuries and you add up a guy who you don't really expect to play all too much, that leads to the end of the year being like, well, that was, why did they sign him? Right. That that could be an element that people start to say, even though I understand exactly why they did it. And he could end up being another, he's had the last two years, 313, 387 yards. It could be like, like, if I'm being honest, if DPJ is who we hope he continues to be, if Amari Cooper is who we hope he continues to be and Elijah Moore takes off, you honestly look at 2019 San Francisco. And I know he was hurt a lot of that, but that was 12, 12 catches on 21 targets, 186 yards and a touchdown. Like that's the perfect line for Marquise Goodwin, in my opinion, because that means a the Browns stayed healthy and their top three played a ton and he wasn't really needed to do very much. That's that's where I'm at. And at that point, people would be like, well, that was a weird signing. They only targeted him 21. Well, you know, the other players being better is what the goal is here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think Goodwin's going to be an interesting one. Our, uh,
2: my guy on Dogs by Nature did a, a background on him. If you don't know his story, uh, Barry did a great job. Our Barry, not Barry McBride, uh, kind of looking at Goodwin's kind of sad story and some of the things that he's been through. So definitely rooting for the guy. But I think the hard thing when you talk about those fifth and sixth receivers is how do you have special teams help, right? If he's injury prone, a little bit older, you don't want him being a gunner. I know they've signed some cornerbacks, linebackers, all that stuff but you're going to have your fifth or sixth wide receiver, not really playing on special teams or not wanting to play on special teams. I think that's where it gets a little interesting with him. Um, But you're right. I think it's something where when you hype up his speed again, how many big 60 yard touchdowns is he going to have none? Probably if we're going to bet. Right. And so instead, is he taking the top off? Can he catch every once in a while? When he's throwing the ball, can he do some end around stuff? Basically, or can he just be a threat to Anthony Schwartz and somehow that he becomes good when becomes, you don't need him. All right. Because they, Anthony Schwartz figured out how to be a football player. I don't bet on that, but yeah. I, I get why you would put him there.
1: Yeah. I think, I think he's great depth. I totally understand why they want it. If you got a guy goes down, Cooper goes down, somebody goes down. He can play. He played more slot than he's ever played. I'm putting a film room up of him tomorrow than he's ever played of his whole career in Seattle last year, and he looked really comfortable doing it. So if you lose Elijah Moore for a couple games, he can come in and handle that role. And there's a level of, like, this guy has done it, uh, and, and Geno Smith trusted him a ton last year, and it, it looked really good. So I think it was a really wise signing. Even though you like Mike Woods, you're still giving Anthony Schwartz some sort of chance. Everyone's written him off. He'll still get a chance to see if he can make the roster. But uh, I just think that that fourth receiver who you feel really good about, it does make a lot of sense given the injury stuff that has gone on. So I, I really or didn't go on. That could uh, become, you know, uh, something that happens this next year. I just think it's a smart choice. And, you know, again, Mike Woods got a chance. Uh, you know, they, they they have like 14 wide receivers on the roster right now. I would be pretty surprised if they didn't end up drafting one as well. So there's going to be some fierce competition in that room. This is a fun episode, though, Jared. So, um I hope you guys enjoyed it three up and three down in terms of like guys who we think are going to meet expectations or potentially miss on those expectations. Hopefully you and um, like we were coming from always uh, as always shout us out on Twitter. If you want to, if you want to share some insight of your own on that, where you think we're right or wrong, always appreciate that banter. But Jared, man, always, uh, always fun to chat, buddy. Thanks for stopping by. Absolutely, brother. You enjoy this slowly improving weather, man, slowly improving weather. Indeed. Listen, um, check out Jared's work dogs by nature. They're doing a great job. Uh, this offseason leading up to the draft continue to stop by there go check out yesterday's dueling mock drafted with Corey Kinnan. i think that one was a lot of fun and turned out really well and then like i said over the coming days still going to be doing the mock draft that we always do get a marquis goodwin film room put out for you and um uh, many other things as we lead up into the draft we're going to put out a, a pretty fun exercise we're doing at the obr on the draft and probability at 74 98 so stop by continue to support us continue to support jared uh and like i said for him for me Appreciate you being here. Have a fantastic Thursday. Go Browns.